Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Hi guys, it's Adrian here from Arcade Attack, and on today's show I interview Bruce Shelley. Now he is Sid Meier's right-hand man who's worked on such classics as Railroad Tycoon, Civilization, and then moved on to Ensemble Studios to work on the excellent Age of Empire series. Now this guy knows his stuff, and basically every game he's been involved in has turned to gold. So sit back, learn more about the legend, and enjoy the interview. So thank you so much, Bruce, for being on the Arcade Attack podcast. It really is an honour to have you here. Some of your games, well, pretty much all the games you've made have been uh, had a big impact on me growing up. So thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. It's nice uh, to hear from people who you enjoy the games. So it's been a pleasure and fun to work on, I'm sure. Excellent. Um, before you worked in the video game industry, you, you helped design a number of board games. I know you're quite passionate about your board games. Um, before, yeah, before you got into the video game industry, can you briefly go through how this part, this this career, uh, started for you? Sure. I, I played games as a kid, and uh, even as a young adult, I I played complicated games, war games especially, yeah. games with history. And then I got into more, you know, complicated family games. Like there was an English game designer named Francis Trushan who built some uh, game, a civilization game and a railroad game called 1830. That I really, 1829, I think, that I really liked. And, uh, I, I was a graduate student at the University of Virginia and we had a game club there and, uh, a bunch of us got together and we started a role playing game. Uh, we, we built, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which was getting started in the seventies. Yeah. And, uh, we, we played a, we played a version of Dungeons and Dragons based on Middle Earth and then we got the idea to contact the Tolkien estate and get permission to build role playing games based in Middle Earth. And we started a game company called Iron Crown. Enterprises, but it wasn't really my kind of game. I liked the complicated history games. So I got a chance uh, shortly to work uh, in New York City for a company called SPI that published a magazine called Strategy and Tactics Magazine with a game in each uh, issue, usually a game about some kind of history or military uh, situation. That didn't last very long. I was just an intern and they were running out of money. But that, that gave me more introductions and, uh, I ended up getting a job with a company in Maryland called the Avalon Hill Game Company, which did, we did, uh, mostly war games, but also some family type games. And then I realized after five years or so there that this wasn't the future for me. I, I, I just wasn't, there wasn't a, I didn't think it was going to be anything to do for the rest of my life. So, yes. but before I found the real job, I found out that there was a company called Microprose in the same city 
on the north side and I uh, started lobbying them about hiring me. I played a game called Pirates, which became Sid Meier's Pirates, mm-hmm. and really thought that was pretty cool, and I could see that might be the future of gaming. And they, they finally uh, had me in for an interview and offered me a job the next day, and that's how I got into computer games. And I, Well, actually, I started working for computer games a little bit for Avalon Hill, but that was the real breakthrough working with uh, Microprose. What a huge company. I mean, fair, some, you sound very, uh, you know, taking the ball by its horns, really, so fair play to you, Bruce. Good on you. Do you still play a lot of ball games today out of interest? Are you still a fan of that particular uh, hobby? I do. Uh, I do when I get the chance. And it's usually uh, the company I work for today is called Bonus XP, and they're based in Texas. And there's uh, I don't live there. I live, you know, I uh, live in the Chicago area. But there's four or five of us who don't live in Texas but work for the company. And, and when I get down there, I used, I used to try to get down there once a month for a week. And we'd also usually schedule a board game afternoon, board game night when I'm there. And I did some work for a while as a contractor with a company in Germany, uh, Blue Bite. And uh, uh, when I was there, usually we usually had a board game night there. So I kept my hand in a little bit. But where I live now, nobody really is uh, playing games that I know. So I don't I don't play many board games anymore, oh, other funny. than work related stuff. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you briefly spoke about how you got into Microprose. I mean, huge company. I I assume you well when you got there, they weren't quite as big as they they are over the next few years. Um, what was the first game you? Do you remember the first ever video game you worked on? Maybe in Microprose, or even you mentioned Avalon Hill before, actually. Yeah, before that, I worked. Uh, I was asked to move from board games over to their computer game division, mm-hmm. and I took the chance because I said, "Well, this looks like the future," and uh, I, maybe it was an opportunity. And I remember that the first game I worked on was a was a translation of a board game called Wooden Ships and Iron Man to the computer. And I can't remember what system it was going to run on. I guess it was going to run on a TRS-80 or an IBM PC. I'm not sure. Yeah. But what I remember most about it was it was a literal translation of the board game. It was just transmitting it over to a computer screen. And the fact that I only had four col- we only had four colors to work with. It was CGA graphics. So the first computer game I worked on had, you know, black, white, cyan, and magenta colors. And, you know, I had lived through a lot of technical change. Mm. Mm, good stuff. Good stuff. Do you remember that? At, at, at Microprose, yeah. Micropro the first game I worked on was called F-117A Stealth Fighter. I was just a 3D modeler. I was building maps and building planes out of 3D objects and stuff. Uh, that's what I did the first game I worked there. Good stuff. So obviously you've got, or you had and you still have now, obviously programming skills. Were they, was that developed at university or at college? Or? I was not a programmer. I'm not a programmer today. I mean, uh, uh there was always a place in the industry for somebody who's who can manage yeah. projects and and for writing, you know, communicating and uh, uh, and you know, I guess I look upon the designers often as the visionaries for the game. I tell people, well, actually, a friend of mine named Greg Kostikian wrote this, I believe, and I borrowed it from him. Was that the designer's job is to picture in his mind what's supposed to happen on screen, what's going and what the player will be doing. And then translate that vision to the people who are actually responsible for making it so. Yep. So uh, that's the way I think. And there's always been room for that person in in, uh, in any game I've ever worked on. There's always been somebody whose job is the vision, translating the vision, and communicating the vision. Oh, I love, oh, brilliant. I mean, that must be quite a fun job in a sense. I know there's a lot of responsibility, but it's your initial ideas of, uh, that the game is going to play. So that must be quite a rewarding role, would you agree? Yes, it's it's definitely it's definitely uh, fun, but it's a challenge too because you're responsible for yeah. you know, the vision, and that means that the, the game is going to hang on 
the team, the design team, how well they can create something that's going to be not only engaging but but also uh, make business sense. You know, I tell people we're in the, we're in the uh, commercial business, not in the art business. You know, we have to make money with what we make, or we're out of business. Good stuff. Um, I, I want to ask you now about Railroad Tycoon, another a, a huge franchise, a huge game, a really a really great game. I'm, I'm a fan of it myself. Um, you obviously worked how, before we go into it, actually. How did you first meet Sid Meier's, a, a proper legend, one of the biggest names in the video game industry? Do you remember the first time you met him? Or was this the first game you worked with, Sid? I, when I first went to work there, I had to. Work, I was like I said, I worked on F one seventeen. I think we called it F nineteen Stealth Fighter originally. Then we changed the name when we found out what the actual designation of the plane was. And he was the he was the lead designer and and programming that game. So when I walked in the door and was assigned to that game, I immediately got to meet him. He was a little bit of a he's a quiet fellow, and he would not introduce himself to new employees right off the bat. But I he had to meet me because he was telling me what to do. So we right. got to meet him right away, and and I think I'm you know I, I you know I didn't have to work intimately with him, but I had to work with him. And I think that over the next year and a half or so, we, we started playing board games. As a matter of fact, we played. Uh, we played. I think the, I had worked on a railroad game at at Avalon Hill called 1830, right. which was designed by Francis Tresham from there in Northampshire, uh, and um, he uh, Sid liked it, and he was an enthusiast with rail, model railroad trains. He had grown up in Switzerland, or been a child in Switzerland. He had, still had his uh, train sets from Switzerland, I think. So uh, he was noodling with the idea of a railroad game, and then uh, it just appeared one day, and I got a chance to play it. It became the genesis for Railroad Tycoon. But, uh, I mean, he asked me if I would um, work with him intimately as his number two. Nice. He always usually had somebody who was the guy, who, the person who did all the stuff he did not want to do, which was meet with the, generally meet with the sales team, work with the play testers, write the documentation, write the manuals. Come up with ideas, more ideas, be a sounding board, be his main play tester. Mm. And he asked me if I would want to do that with him. And I, I, I absolutely jumped at that opportunity. Bruce, good on you. I mean, it sounds funny. You just playing that board game, introducing the board game, could have really got the game off the ground in a sense. So it's amazing how these little things can, can spark huge games in the future, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was really impressed because uh, he was Sid was always and still today I'm sure is noodling all the time with mm-hmm. ideas for games. He's his uh, computer always had a half a dozen prototypes on it that he was playing around with, and uh, he went off on a vacation. I remember that we were actually building a game called Covert Action. We had started working on a game called Covert Action about spies. And he went off on his two-week vacation in August, and he came back with this little railroad thing. He said, try this. Tell me what you think of this. So I remember saying, playing it and uh, saying, well, this has got the genesis of a cool idea. You know, I'd love to see this work. Mm. And we went off. I remember we had this – we remember this lunch. We went to a restaurant in a nearby shopping mall and had lunch. And the decision was, do we stop working on this covert action spy game and do this railroad game, or do we complete the covert action game first? And I was very enthusiastic for the railroad mm. game, and I think he asked, he was too, and he just wanted a little confirmation. And so he went back and told management of the company that we're going to stop working on the spy game <laughs> and start building this railroad game. Was the spy game ever completed? Do you know that or not? It was, yeah. It was completed next because we we finished. They get it. They let us do the railroad game, and yeah. it it won a lot of critical appeal. Mm-hmm. And it only took us like. Uh, uh, I think it took, I can't remember now, I think it was like six months or nine months to finish it. 
And um, and then uh, we started redoing the uh, finishing the, the spy game. But then by then he came up with another idea, which was civilization. He yeah. started screwing around with what was going to be the prototype for civilization. And the, the management team came in and, and put their foot down and said, look, we really want this spy game. We put a lot of money in it. Please don't do anything else until you finish it. Yeah. And I said, man, I'm telling you, said, this civilization thing you're doing is really cool. And he says, I know, but we've got to finish this spy game. So <laughs> we put civilization on the, on, the, on the back burner for a while and then finished the spy game, which was published. And then we then we got to go ahead and do work on civilization. I mean, civilization, it's, it's won so many awards. It's one of the most important PC games of all time, if not one of the most important video games of all time. Um, I mean, what what was the initial uh, thoughts when you, I know you obviously thought it was a special title, but do you ever ever dream it'd be such a big title? I, I knew. I, I think I knew, and I, I don't know if Sid's ever admitted this, but I knew fairly early on that we were making a really remarkable game that was gonna, you know, was gonna blow the world away. And that was my that was my feeling. It was so it was so cool and so much fun to work on. And I thought it was such a rich experience and, and did so many good things as that, that game can do. You know, he had spoken about the the, the imperative of games to has an opportunity to teach as well as entertain. Mm. And I thought Civilization was doing all that. It was entertaining and it was also going to you know expose people to a lot of ideas maybe that they hadn't considered and the whole breadth of this. You know, civilization. You know, the unfolding of civilization. Uh, you know, I, I and I, I thought it was really, really great. I was just, I made a point of a uh, when he gave me the first time I ever, we talked about it. It was on his computer. He would play it in front of me. We talk, and then he finally gave me a disc. He burned a disc, a five and a quarter floppy disc. And he says, "Okay, here's a version. Play it hmm. for a couple hours and let me know what you think." And I made a point of saving that floppy disk. I had not saved the first version he gave me of Railroad, to, Railroad yeah. Tycoon. I was sorry I had not. This time I saved the Civilization disk. I dated it, put it aside, because I thought this could be historic, you know. And you know, <laughs> it's now uh, it's over 25 years later, and I mentioned this that I had it. Yeah. I mentioned to a to a museum in uh, in in Rochester, New York, a strong. Museum of Play. They're trying to record the history, save the history of the video game yeah, industry. Yeah, I told him I had this dish, so we want that. And then I said, "Well, before I give it to you, I got to ask Sid if he wants it." And he said, "And he said, no, 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 I want that disc." <laughs> and I had a box of versions of the games we worked on that I'd saved over the over the years when I was there. So I had versions of Civilization and Railroad Tycoon that had been burned to discs. And uh, he said he wanted them all, and I just packed them up and sent them to him. And a couple a week later, he called me and he said, "Hey, our, our IT guys got that five and a quarter floppy disk working. The original wow. first playable version of Civilization that ever existed off his." computer and then we, I, we it had been preserved and they could actually run it it was a real-time game it was really a little different than the final civilization but it's you know it's a historic artifact wow i mean that's that's absolutely incredible um oh man civilized i mean that's an incredible game uh, do you still well do you, have you played the recent ones since are you still a fan of the series i haven't played one for a while i don't think i, I don't i'm sure i didn't play the last one I, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I played that game to death, you yeah. know, the first version, and I played a lot of the second one as well. And I just, you know, I just, I mean, I think I've exhausted the, the, the what I'm going to get out of it in a sense. I, I don't know. It's just, I, I'm older now. I'm like, I just don't play as many games as yeah. I used to. I just, it seems like my, as my life gets, as I get older, I think, 
well, there's other things I want to do with my time than spend hours in front of a computer playing a game. I've, I've, I spent, I think I logged my time and, uh, unless it's work related, I don't many, I don't play much anymore. That's fair enough. I mean, you obviously work in the industry still today, so you, you know, you're, I, I completely understand your answer. Um, yeah, when I was playing Civilization, I, I was quite young at the time. It, it, it made me feel smarter. I, it made me one of the sort of games where I, I did actually feel like I was learning when I was playing it. So I want to say thank you to you and obviously Sid. It was, it was such a groundbreaking game. Um, it's, it's still spoken about to this day as one of the most important games ever. I mean, how, I mean, how does that feel for you personally, just being having your name attached to such a huge title? Well, it's a it's a it's a great honor for me to to think back about that opportunity, and uh, I you know it was not only just it was great fun to work on. It was uh, you know it put it, it was a great um, opportunity for me personally. It helped my career dramatically, and uh, you know it's something now. It's like you know we have in American baseball we have the World Series and. It's like I got to play for the 27, 1927 Yankees, and we won a World Series. That's what. That's like I felt we won a championship with the game, and no matter whatever help I did in my career, I've got that. You know, I've got the Stanley. My name is on the Stanley Cup, for example, as far as video games, something comparable. You know, I, I worked on a, a wonderful, wonderful game that will live for a long time to come, and that can't be taken away. You can't take it away. You know, it can't take it away from me. I was on that team. You know. Yeah, I, I feel very proud about that. I remember talking to Todd Fry uh, a few months ago, and he mentioned that he was working when he was working on um, Pac-Man. He said no one could ever take that away from me. And I, I kind of get the same feeling from you, Bruce. That it was, you know, it's such a legendary title. Absolutely incredible times. Good on you. Um, yeah, yeah, that'll be. It's a, it's a one. It's, I've had some other opportunities, but that was a one. That was the one. It was a big one. Very I mean, I, would you I, again? We're talking about your future titles and. Do you think Civilization was your peak, the, the highest point of your career? I know you had some huge games afterwards, but would you, I mean, did anything top that for you, well, you personally? To, well, you have to remember that I was just, uh, I was the number two guy mm. on that project. I mean, Sid did mo- you know, 95% of the design. I think, you know, sometimes he'd have a stumbling block and he'd say, I need an, I need, a, I got a problem with this game. I need an answer. And we'd sit there and talk for hours. And some of the, I, I think sometimes I had a solution or offered something. Like I think the, in Civilization 1, you built this palace. He was thinking of some way to reward the player when he did something well. And the palace might have been my idea. I'm not certain about that. And then he was struggling with how to end the game. And I mm-hmm. said, well, what about we build a spaceship and sail the Alpha Centauri? <laughs> and then that would be the, that would be the culmination of America. You know, human civilization on Earth. We 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 colonized this, the uh, the universe. And he says that that worked for him, and I think that was my idea, but I'm not certain. So I mean, but 99 percent of the, the work was his, and I tell people he could have done that game with three or four other people in our office, but I could not have done that with anybody else. You know, he was a man, and uh, so I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm proud that I worked on it. My name is on it. I played third base, you know, for the team or something <laughs> like that. But uh, you know, he was the guy, and um, you know. Well, so I, it, it's a it's a milestone in my career for sure, important point. But I mean, I had several others, and I you know I'm I'm, I'm happy with the, I, with all the good things that have happened to me in this career. I'm happy with all of them. It's very humble of you, Bruce. I mean, um, obviously, Sid Meier, what a legend. Okay, one of the most important names in video game history. I know you spoke briefly about it, but could you maybe describe a typical day when you used to work with him, and how do you reflect back on your really successful partnership? 
Sure, sure. I mean, I usually got to work earlier than he did. He was a little late riser, and um, and so I, what normally would happen was he would give me a disc, a new version of the game, before he left for the day, or maybe after, if I would leave earlier, and he would be a little later. And when I came in the morning, there'd be a floppy disc on my chair, and, he, and be, you know, and it would be the new version. So I would play it for an hour or two in the morning, and then. Uh, uh, um, he would he, he would contact me, call me, or something like that, and I go down the hall and visit with him. We sit down and we we talk. We might talk till lunch about what we liked about that that the version he gave he made yesterday. And we would sit there and talk about what we liked, didn't like, what would we change, what you know. It just just we was just it was the design process. We call it design by playing, is what I've come to call it over the years. Yeah. And then uh, then I usually had other responsibilities. I might have other jobs within the company. I was managing a project, another game, or something like that. And I might have something. I might have to do something else. And then he would work on the afternoon on uh, redoing, you know, yeah. maybe making new art pieces. He did a lot of the original art. He would make, uh, he would program, he would think about the design. And then maybe there'd be a new design, maybe there'd be a new version of the afternoon, or maybe there wouldn't be until the next day. But, so there'd be this, this give and take all afternoon or in the, you know, about how the game was working. And then, and we just did that for months, and he wouldn't let anybody else play it, which I thought was unusual. But so I, I would have to explain the game to other people. They come into my office and say, "Oh, come on, tell me about this." And especially our sales guys. It was one of our salesmen, it was Glenn Drover, who's a designer now in his own right, and he was in my office all the time. When what is how does this work? Show me what this is doing. He says, "Oh, this is great. I can't wait to play this." And <laughs> so I was the ambassador for the game within the company because it was kind of private. And finally, at some point, he uh, we opened it up to more players and got more input than just mine. And uh, that was a typical day, you know, a play test and discussions, and more play tests, more discussions. Good on you. Good on you. Um, obviously, you mentioned that Sid's quite a private man, uh, but pretty much all of his games has got his name plastered all over it, which is, you know, I can completely see why he's a complete legend. But um, was it how was it agreed that Sid would game? I understand you saying earlier he was the main man, but was it an early decision that he would be in the main spotlight, at least for the name, or how was that? Was he was he happy about having his name on the games? What was his, what was your view and his views on that? I'm not. You'd have to ask him, really. I mean, I, my guess is that the the company decided he had he had become well known in yep. the industry, and I think the corporation decided it would be great to put his name on the cover; it would help sell. I, my guess is he was fine with that. He 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 wasn't a shrinking violet. He he appreciated, you know, that, that he was doing something really great. I think he personally invented four or five genres of computer games, yeah, yeah. and uh, so I think he was fine with it. And, and, and if it helped the company sell the games, everybody was happy with that. I think there was no there was no feeling that this was not fair. I mean, we 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 all recognized that he was the he was the brilliant man in the room. And, the, and he had also been a partner in the company. He had co-founded Microprose. Mm. We didn't realize we didn't realize at the time that he had sold his half of the company to the other guy, Bill Staley, the president. We didn't know that at the time. But mm. when the company was bought went public, that was all revealed in the in the documentation. So that was the first we knew that Sid wasn't even a partner. He was just a, he was just a contractor. By the time I was working with him, well, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, are you still in contact with Sid? And would you ever be tempted to uh, work with him in the future? Yes, we are in contact. I'm like, he's not. He doesn't reach out a lot. We, he and our wives, we went on a cruise together after I was gone, and uh, and the last couple of years, we've 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 teamed up a couple of times for conferences because people wanted to. Were invited. We were invited. To, he was invited. Let's put this way. He was invited to speak about the 25th anniversary of civilization. And he called me up and says, look, I'm not doing that without you. If you want to, if, I'm not going to go out there alone. So 
So we we spoke at a game developers conference last uh, two years ago, I think, and then we did another retrospective at a Dice conference in Las Vegas together, uh, and that that's been fun. You know, I mean, I, I, I looking back on it and. Uh, you know all the things that have all the water has gone over the dam since then. It's you know, it's been fun to reflect and yeah. also for me just to remember what I learned and how I try to take what I learned working from him with me. I mean I tell people that working with him was like going to game design university. I mean he was the first fellow who person I ever worked with who actually considered you know a lot of the background. What is happening when people are having fun with game and mm. how can we how can we capture that and make sure it happens again and again. You know what is exactly going on here? What you know the fun, the word fun is thrown around, but what the, what it, let's take fun apart. What is actually happening when someone is having fun? And you know, so with the idea was like he helped me climb the ladder. You know, you learn you climb the ladder as a designer, learning stuff. And I I got a couple of legs up the ladder very quickly. You know, not only working in board games, but yeah. also working with him. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, do you think there'll be any opportunities in the future for a future video game with Sid, or is that Unlikely in your view, Bruce? I, I think it's unlikely. I mean, we don't, you know, we live 800 miles apart. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, he's he's working with his son now. His son is working with him. And uh, he was talking about retirement a few years ago. I'm not sure. I think when his son came to work there, I think he gave up on retirement, but I'm not really sure. And uh, I, I just don't think it's a possibility, you know. Okay, now fair enough. Um, why did you choose to leave Microprose uh, for Ensemble Studios? Was and was that an easy decision? Because obviously Microprose, huge company at the time, was what, what happened there then? If that might be asking. No, I don't mind asking that. What happened actually was I got married, and my wife was making a whole lot more money than I was, and uh, she she was uh, she gave up a really good paying job so I could stay at Microprose. Mm for a year and then she couldn't find a comparable job to what she'd been doing in the area, in the Maryland, Washington area, Washington DC, Baltimore area. And then she was recruited for a really good job in uh, Chicago. So we decided that I was the lowest paid designer in Microprose. I'd come to work for very little because I came from nowhere. Mm. And uh, the people in charge weren't going to do anything about that. I mean, Sid was a contractor and I was working for him. so. The vice president wasn't get his salary didn't depend on what Sid was doing. It was dependent on what everybody else in the company was doing. So I was like an extra piece that he didn't really care about, and mm. uh, that's the way I look at it anyway. So I said, well, it's time for me to move on, you know. Um, and uh, and I actually didn't work for Ensemble right away. We that that came years that came a few years later. I was writing books. I was hired by a company called Prima Publishing to write strategy guides for games because they had written about games I've worked on. Yeah, yeah. And they said, yeah, you could do that for us. So I did a, I did that for about almost two years. And then a fellow that I knew back at that University of Virginia Game Club 15 years earlier called me up and started to ask me about how to make computer games. He was running a business software company in Dallas, but people that worked with him wanted to, do, wanted to make games. And he started to ask me about it. And finally, I told my wife, I think he's going to, start a game company and he did that became ensemble studios and he asked me to get involved and i said i can't move there and he said you don't have to and so for the next 20 years i worked for three different companies along 20 miles of a highway in texas three different startups and that's how that's how ensemble got started good on. i mean you obviously you've seen these companies grow from not much into these huge organizations uh it must have been pretty interesting to see yeah, it's been it's been fun. I mean, it's been. Uh, I mean, I work with really, really brilliant people. I've been lucky in that respect. You know, like Tony Goodman was the head of Ensemble, and he was a he was a smart businessman. Mm-hmm. He had some partners that were smart, and they funded what became Ensemble Studios. And Tony did a great job of recruiting people. 
and finding the right person for the right job. I mean, I was my job was to like figure out how to make games in overall process and be one of the early designers. And his brother Rick was a really detailed guy. He became the lead designer in Age of Empires and. He got some, uh, Angelo Loud was an ace programmer who still works with Tony in a company they, they, they run now. Uh, and we just, he just, Tony had a knack for finding the right person at the right time. And, and then he did a good job of getting in touch with Microsoft. I mean, one of the keys to Ensemble was the fact that Microsoft published our games. And it just turned out it was serendipitous that Microsoft was looking to get into the computer game industry when we were looking for a publisher. I remember we had several people interested in the game that was going to become Age of Empires. We traveled up mm. from Massachusetts to Seattle in one weekend to make demonstrations. And I think there's a case where my relationship with Sid helped because when I when we were talking to Microsoft, guys at Microsoft were gamers and they played Civilization. And mm. one of them I had met, spent a day with at a uh, television studio in California. We were both there to promote a game we were working on. I was promoting Railroad Tycoon for the Macintosh, and he was promoting um, uh, uh, Sierra Online, I think. And now here he is several years later, and he's a senior man, one of the senior fellows at Microsoft's Game Studio. So we had we've already had a relationship, and they knew that they said, well, this guy worked on Civilization. We could maybe take a chance on these people. Yeah, and yeah. It all came together, and Microsoft became our publisher, and that was a huge, huge opportunity win for us. You don't get much bigger than Microsoft, do you, to be fair? Good. Wow. It just shows you that the video game industry is quite a small world, isn't it, Bruce, really? All these connections you build up come back to play. Yes, and I, I think, uh, yeah, absolutely true. I mean, I can't go to a game convention without seeing people I know. I mean, you know, they've spread around. From, I mean, Microprose eventually came apart, and then Ensemble was taken apart by Microsoft. And there's 100 people at both those companies that I work with. Yeah. And then there's other studios I work with, even in Europe, that I've worked with. So I keep running into these people. <laughs> It is a relatively small community. It, it, you know, it, it, it selects for people who have skill. It's, a, it's not an easy industry. And if no. you don't have a certain amount of ability, you're going to have to, you're going to have to find something else to do. And so the people with ability, no matter how wacky the industry gets, getting laid off or think, you know, your game doesn't sell, you're out of business and you can, you surface again and you have another chance. Mm, really appreciate that. No, very, that's very interesting to hear that done. Excellent stuff. Um, Bit like Civilization, Age of Empires was one of my favourite games um, as a, as a young teenager. It's it, it's up there for me with. I mean, I used to love Command and Conquer and June too. I, I love a great strategy game. Um, the, again, huge title. How how did this opportunity first come about, and what was your exact role on Age of Empires? Well, when we started on Samuel Studios, we were. We were feeling around for a game to make, and we and the idea that I remember we first started thinking about was like uh, a survival game. You're a shipwreck on an island. You got to gather the resources to get off the island, get the ship, and then you find out there's other people on the island. There's villains or whatever. And we thought, okay, this could be a rich mm-hmm. world, you know, like lost in space or something. And uh, one of the one of the one of the early programmers, Tim Dean, uh, came in. He was a very he played tons of games. Came in and says. You guys ought to look at this game. And he was showing it. He was playing Warcraft and then Command and Conquer. He says, mm-hmm. look at these games. And he says, and so the idea, he said, you know, the idea, I don't know if it was Tim, but he says, he got us to play those games. And he said, consider this. And then the idea came about, why don't we do one of these games, but do it in a historical framework? You know, and then the idea says, why don't we merge like the, the history and the technology of, of, uh, and the economics of civilization with real time strategy? 
and that just it just came to us as the vision. He said, "Well, that that seems really great." So then the idea was, let's let's instead of going all of civilization, let's start with ancient times. And then we have some runway ahead of us if we if it works. And that became the vision for Age of Empires. And uh, it turned out, I remember uh, years within a year or two, a gaming magazine in America, it was called Computer Gaming World, had an article about real-time strategy. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And there was 50-some real-time strategy games in development around the world that they were aware of. And we were the only one that was based in history. Everybody else was doing science fiction or fantasy following in the footsteps of those, those big early games. And it turned out that making a historical real-time strategy was a big win for us. It reached out to a lot of people. Well, that's incredible. I mean, just keeping it to history was your uh, uh, unique selling point, really. How incredible is that when you think about it? Um, I, you know, I loved it, and it, it, it did teach me a bit of history as well. And I just the look and feel of the game was brilliant. Uh, how do you reflect back on Age of Empires on a personal note? Well, I mean, it was a, it was like the the second big thing in my career after yeah. after working with Sid was you know working with Ensemble and and uh, and building Age of Empires. I mean, it, it was right up my alley. I liked historical games. I mean, I did a lot of the research. I mean, to picking the civilizations, picking the units, deciding on buildings, deciding on technology. I mean, I, I had done a lot of that already for Civilization. I was back doing it again, and and I enjoyed that. I really liked reading it. We did we did historic notes or further reading, you know, list of books to go around and read. Um, I mean, I, I just it was like I want to say it was in my wheelhouse, and everybody there at uh, uh, the designers on Age One, particularly Rick Goodman and uh, Brian Sullivan, we'd all come up playing these. Uh, historic board games and uh, an interest in history, mm. so it just it just it just resonated really well with us all. And uh, we had to drag in some cases the programmers and the artists along with our enthusiasm. But I mean, that was our job was to create the vision and get everybody enthusiastic and move ahead with it. And and it did so well that uh, it, it was it it just was great. Good stuff. I wonder if um, Bill Gates was a fan. Obviously, Microsoft was your was your publisher. I wonder if he actually ever played the game. Don't suppose you know the answer, do you? By any chance? I, I don't. I don't know if he ever played it. I, it's not. It's not unlike. It's not. It wouldn't be unusual for me. I mm. think he was a pretty hands-on guy. Mm. I did get to meet him once. Oh, really? He had to go. To, Tony Goodman and I had to go to Seattle, and uh, the the company had arranged uh, this. The game group had arranged for all the games that were being developed at one time to be presented in a room and uh, and to Bill. And so uh, we were told, we were briefed ahead of time, we had 10 minutes to, to, to make a demonstration of our game. Mm. And he would walk around with a couple of guys and he would stop at station after station and look at each game and get a little talk. And he said, you, you, you only have 10 minutes, but if he asks questions, you keep talking until he stops asking mm-hmm. questions. You know, this could, it could go on for half an hour if he wants it to. You know, after 10 minutes, you're done <laughs> unless he asks. And he kept asking us questions, which wow. we, were, we thought was great. And he, he, he looked at the game. He says he, he loved the game. He talked about it. He, he was familiar enough with it, whether he played it or not. He knew a lot about it. Hmm. And he, he wanted to know if we had if we should be marketing it as an educational software rather than games. Hmm. Remember that was one of the questions that jumped out at me. And I my answer was that we don't entertain we don't teach them anything. We don't entertain them first. So we're gonna we're gonna focus on making it. It's all about entertaining people. And if they learn something, that's that's the second piece that happens. And, I explained a little bit about how we borrowed from history to make a good game. We didn't try to remodel history, and we left out slavery and the Black Plague yeah. and religious wars and things like that. I mean, we had we captured a certain essence of it that uh, that, that that made it entertaining. 
Oh, that's that's really interesting. Um, Bruce, I mean, you, I love hearing these stories. It's so incredible. Um, exactly, you know, do, do you actually design the games with, with a, on paper first when you come up with these ideas? Or you said earlier you don't do much programming yourself. I'd love to get a sort of what's a typical day for you when you when you when you work for a, in these sort of design uh, elements. Well, I'm not sure there is ever a typical day, but a typical day is we play the game, we discuss it, yeah. and then we, we then we work on maybe some give people lists of stuff that's not in we should get in or go find artwork for the art people or something like that. But here, I mean, here's a not a typical day, but a day that I think was kind of was instrumental in Age of Empires was we were talking about you know we're going to compete with Warcraft, we're going to compete with this Command and Conquer, so we got a whiteboard out and we listed the things that. Command and Conquer was doing really well. The key features, what they were doing great. We did the same thing for World of Warcraft. The Warcraft. Then we did another list was what are they not doing? Mm. What are those what are those games? What would be great that they're not doing? And so what we did was we the first two lists became like our minimum requirements. We have to be as good as they are at these things they do really well. And the third list, which was what they were not doing, that was the opportunities. That was how we're going to make Age of Empires different and give people a new experience. Now, a lot of this, we did this, we did this uh, I think this was my idea to make this chart, but we did this without thinking deeply about what it was. But now I look back on it, and I've since considered this. What we did, we did it, we did it at a very high level. We made our game different. When you looked at it, it was different. The title was different. The look of it was different. The the time period it was a different experience, and that made it stand out. It wasn't a Warcraft clone, or it wasn't a Command and Conquer clone, mm. like some of those other fifty games were. We were different, and then when you played the game, we had built enough new stuff into it, enough innovated enough at the gameplay level that it wasn't the same experience either. It was different to look at and understand, and it was different. It was uh, it was innovative to play, and I later built a whole speech around this for conferences called "Differentiate and Innovate." Don't don't. Uh, don't imitate. So I mean, a friend of mine who's a, a business uh, development uh, guy for a French company at the time, he told me he was going to, he was in South Korea and he had seen six clones of Diablo. Mm. But he said, I can't buy any of them because it's just Diablo with some new paper, you know, painted over. And that made me think about what we had done years earlier without realizing we had not cloned Warcraft or, or Command and Conquer. We had we had made them a different game that played, had some new innovation at the gameplay level, and that was one of the keys to being successful. That's, sounds really no, that's, that worked really well. I mean, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Age of Empires. It, it it is different from those games you mentioned. Are you a fan of the other two games? Do you like Warcraft Command and Conquer? Did you play them a lot yourself? Or? I did play them at the time, and I thought I thought they were really cool. Mm. I mean, I definitely liked. I think I liked Warcraft better. It, I mean, I, I think part part of it for me was the. Um, a personal connection, like uh, I, when and everything, when everything is a mechan- was a was a robot, I don't feel any personal connection to mm. it. It's just machines fighting, you know. And uh, Warcraft had was more had more personality, and uh, I, I I always liked that the, the I tell people that uh, one of my one of my sayings was the sun was always shining in Age of Empires. Mm. You know, it was a bright, inviting world that you wanted to know more about. You know, we had deer running around and it looked and birds flying and. It was believable, and then, and then even like up to even like Age of Empires three, you know, I have ancestors who fought in the American Revolution, so mm-hmm. that I, I mean, I had a personal connection to the period, so I felt more attuned to, to playing something like that when something was really abstract or dark or forbidding. I mean, it's a personal taste matter, but mm-hmm. and, I, and it turns out I believe that an awful lot of people around the world 
did like the, the bright, inviting look of the H series. They did mm-hmm. feel comfortable there. I mean, I know it was popular with children, and I met a, I met a, a, a journalist who said when he talks to women about game, playing games, they always mention Age of Empires as one of the games that they played because they could they could do it their style, the way they liked it, and uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't intimidating. Good, brilliant, good stuff. Um, obviously, you've worked on many Age of Empire games, not just the first one, and a number of expansion packs. Do you do you have a personal favorite game or expansion pack in the series? Is the one you thought that really stood out for you personally? Uh, they all kind of blur together, to be honest. But uh, I think we look. I think everybody who worked on the series looks back on Age of Empires two as the as the perfect storm of a game. We learned so much making Age one. That we couldn't we couldn't put in H one. We just realized we could do it, but we there's a better way to do some of these things. And and then we had a much better. I think we did. We our artists had gotten so much better. We had the period was a little more attractive. You know, knights and castles made uh, was much more fun than uh, yeah. than, than than Greeks and Romans or something. Too many people. It was much more. It seemed like you know there it just seemed like a better period, a perfect period for this kind of game. So I think everybody thinks that H two was the best game we did. But uh, I personally really liked Age Three because it was a, it's my favorite periods in history, like the Age of Discovery, and um, like I said, I had a personal connection to that time period. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think we did all the graphics were incredible. I think and the three D graphics were great. And so I, I guess I have a, a place in my heart for Age Three. Age Two was probably the best game we did, and on top of all that, Age of Mythology was a lot of fun to make because it was so different. Yeah, I remember playing that. I thought it's just very, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it sort of stood out a bit from the original uh, games a bit more. Um, was there any ever any random armies or expansion packs or even a sort of other games in the series that that were mentioning quite interesting ideas but never actually made it into the final versions? Nothing, nothing, uh, nothing big. There, you know, we struggled sometimes with stuff like the home city idea in Age of Empires Three. I think we went through twelve iterations of that, as I recall, before we found something we thought was acceptable. Mm. We also experimented quite a bit with formations, you know, in Age Three. You know, the Napoleonic era and you know the form, the, the column versus the line, the line of the British army and the columns of the French armies. You know how they conflicted, and uh, we thought. Was there? We tried to make something really interesting out of that whole idea of formations making a difference, but we never really got it to click. And I remember we had a big company meeting, and we sit there, everybody in the company's like a hundred people in a room. We said, "What do you think?" We had a vote. Do you like the way formations are working? And it came to like about a fifty-fifty vote. Fifty percent of the company really liked it. Fifty percent said, "I don't know." And we didn't think that that was a good enough threshold. You know, we needed we needed much more. Uh, much more buy-in to make it work, so we can't. We dropped it out of the project. So oh, that's enough. a big thing I remember. Oh, interesting. Um, I'd love now to talk a little bit more about uh, another game you worked on, Halo Wars. Quite an interesting title, uh, obviously based around the, the, the another huge franchise, Halo, but a very different sort of game. How did this opportunity come about? Do you remember? Well, actually, I did not work on Age of on Halo Wars uh, in any kind of official capacity, except as right. a tester. Um, we were the company was splitting up into different projects, and I was more uh, doing PR by then instead of doing design. But the way I think we were trying to come up with some new ideas uh, as a you know as, a, as we are now part of Microsoft, and there was concern about real time strategy going away as a as a, well a PC, and the company was also focusing on the Xbox. Mm. So we thought we we thought we should try to make ourselves relevant to the company as it's as the company was changing, and uh, we came with the idea of. We thought of the idea of making making real time strategy to the Xbox would be 
what would be a good experiment I and mean, hopefully a winner. And then we pitched that idea to them. And uh, the, 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 the manager we pitched to it originally was very enthusiastic and we started the project. And then the manager, our managers at Microsoft changed and that, that upset the whole Apple cart. Okay. Uh, they canceled one of our, at least, they canceled at least several of our games we were working on. And then, then they eventually decided to close us down entirely and take our, because the jobs, we had 100 people in Texas, they wanted to move those into Xbox development in the Seattle area, but they, we were, we were contracted to finish the Halo Wars game. They were willing to take a chance on that and see if they could, if we could deliver on a real time strategy for, uh, the Xbox. And I think in large, in large, in large, uh, uh we did yeah. make that a success. Mm, yeah. I, I haven't played it personally, I, 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 but I've heard it's got good reviews. I think they might, they might be working on a new, a new gaming series actually, if I'm correct. So no, good on you. Um, You've, you've already spoke about you know a t- like a typical day or the kind of things you got up to back in the day, but was there anything that really inspired you when you started a project or if you, if you got stuck on a particular game? Was there anything you went back on that helped inspire and make these games so memorable? Oh, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I think I think what I learned and I think what uh, what makes a difference in the things that I the guys I work with, people I work with, is that we we embrace. Completely, Sid's idea of uh, prototyping early and playing as soon as you can, and then play it every day and work on it every day. You know, play it every day and change it. Mm. I worked in Germany for a while as a contractor when I, after Microsoft let us go, and they seemed to have a different attitude. They had a they had a plan. They had designed the game up front, and the whole the whole project was just creating the project to that design document. And there wasn't a lot of free leeway. You know, there was like the mm. testing wasn't a time tended to find out whether it was working or not. It was testing whether the plan was coming together. And we had a completely different attitude that I, that I work with was that we would, we had an idea, a vision for the game, but slap something together fast mm. and play it and see if it feels right. And if it feels right, we think we're on the right path, well, then we'll work on it tomorrow too. And then we'll keep building on it, play it every day change things, add things, take things out, rely on our instincts as gamers to tell us when it's working properly. And uh, we call, like I said, I think in the earlier, design by the playing. And, and, and I think that's always worked. And I remember, I remember when we were working on Asian Empires 1, we would take a maybe half hour, an hour every day and play Warcraft as we started, or Command and Conquer, one of those two, just to keep the juices flowing and keep reminding us what we're shooting for. Then a day came, you know, when we could actually play an Age of Empires game multiplayer. We had we had a LAN, you know, local area network in our office. And we it was eight of us playing, and we could actually sit down and play each other, two, two four man teams of our own game. And it was so it was so excited because now we we don't play Warcraft anymore. We play Age of Empires now every day, and that's how I mean it was a big big day. And as the years went by and the games came along, there was always that day when okay now we're playing Age of Empires two online together for the first time. Now we're playing Age of Empires 3 together for the first time. And those were always big days because yeah. I, I, by, by then I was convinced that our process would deliver an excellent game the way we built them because the way we worked. And uh, and I think now looking back, I think Brian uh, Brian Reynolds uh, came out of Microprose and he designs games the same way. And I think that um, from what I understand that, that Blizzard, independently came up with the same process and that's yeah. how they've made their games over the year this the prototype early iterate daily mm. that, that was a big thing no, I, I agree I mean, what, did you actually move to Germany then uh, was, to work on this game or 
I never moved there. I mean, uh, uh, one of my friends there I met at conferences in Europe, he asked me to come work for him when I was working for Microprose, at, you know, for Ensemble and Microsoft. And I said, well, I can't do that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Microsoft employee. I can't work for someone else. But when we knew we were losing our jobs, I got in touch with him and said, well, I'm going to be free in, uh, in, a, in a few months. And if you're still interested, I consider doing somewhere, but I'm not, I don't want to move to Germany. He says, and he said, that's fine. So I ended up working. I go over there for, for about 10 days a month for almost two years. We worked, I was working on a game called Settler 7 with their team oh, yeah, yeah. And, and a few other things. And, uh, it, it was a, it was a great experience. I didn't like the flights. I didn't like being in the planes for eight hours at a time. I didn't like being away from home for 10 days or so, but I really enjoyed the experience other than that. I got to meet a lot of neat, neat people and got to see part of Europe and, and just be part of another culture for a while. I was, I was, I really enjoyed it. Mm. Well, yeah, Settlers, another classic uh, like strategy game, a little bit like Age of Empires, isn't it? But that sounds interesting. Like, good stuff. Yeah, they have, their, they have a huge audience. You know, they have a huge audience of their own. Yeah, it's huge in Europe, isn't it? It's huge around, obviously, UK where I live, and I know it's big in Germany, obviously. No, good stuff. Now, you're, Bruce, you've been involved in so many huge, huge games. Um, is there any, <laughs> if, I mean, it's amazing, you know, fair play to you. It's, what would you say though? Is there, was there, when you look back at your career now, is there a sort of game you think you're most proud of? And uh, it doesn't have to be maybe the most famous game. Is there a game you think, yeah, I had the most fun doing this and looking back, yeah, I'm so proud of this? Well, I'm, I have a lot to be proud of. You know, like, you know, I mentioned earlier we're playing for a World Series team. I yeah. think I played for several World Series teams. No matter how big a role I had, I was I was on the team. But I got the World Series ring, yeah. so it's hard to pick. But I think I think uh, if I look back on what was the most fun, I would say Railroad Tycoon might have been the most fun to work mm-hmm. on because I was a railroad kid. As a kid, I I liked riding trains with my family on vacation and. And I had I built model railroads as a child, and uh, you know it was it was great to make it all come alive in that game and be. It was just Sid, myself, and Max Remington was our artist, and for most of the project it was just the three of us building that game. I remember I had to do a I had to do a spreadsheet for the company on the, on the what what was involved in making it. I came out to like one hundred sixty seven thousand dollars it cost to make, and uh, wow. you know like so many man hours. It was incredibly cheap for the for the bang that we got. Yeah. And, uh, and I just know we did field trips. I mean, Sid says, we're going to go do a field trip. So we went to a railroad museum in Pennsylvania, rode a steam railroad, went to look at a model railroad display. And, yeah. and we went to a restaurant that was all railroad cars. I mean, we just whole day was themed around railroading. And, uh, I mean, that was, that was, that was like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. You know? <laughs> yeah, we like- get in a car, we drive, we just drive off a couple hours up into Pennsylvania, spend the day immersing ourselves in railroad stuff. Come back and we're all fired up to get back to work. We did. We did one more of those trips. We went over to Smithsonian Institution in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Took a train to Washington D.C. and we went to the Smithsonian, looked at their railroad stuff, and uh, did a couple other things for railroad related. So I mean, I mean, and then I got to work on this really fun game. So that I think, as far mm-hmm. as uh, my one my favorite experience was probably building railroad type game. Of course, and that is a great game, and obviously it led to Transport Tycoon as well, and it, so many other games it's led to. It's, 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 it laid the, excuse the pun, the rails, didn't it, to, to future games, and that's well, yeah, well, very similar I, games. I think I mentioned earlier, I think, I think Sid's responsible for half a dozen or so yeah. game genres, and he did the first real flight simulator, for mm. example, and he, and I think Railroad, you know, the Tycoon, he did the first tycoon, quote-unquote tycoon game, and, uh, submarine simulator things like that I mean not many people can say that let's be honest that's incredible when you think about it 
Absolutely amazing. Yeah, he deserves to be uh, be remembered for certainly as a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, you're still working in the industry. You're working at Bonus XP. Uh, you're working again with Dave Pottinger. I don't know if we mentioned him earlier, but he's another another sort of. He's definitely a legend in my eyes. He also worked with you in um, Age of Empires. So, how did this opportunity come about, and what's it like working with uh, Dave again? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, Dave is a is a good friend. We've worked together now for over 20 years in three different companies. I think he's a brilliant guy. He's underestimated. He's a, he's a great designer, and he's a super super programmer. Now he's the CEO of our company. Yeah. Uh, he's he, he works like he's a, he wears like four or five hats, and he does he does all of them really well. But so I, the opportunity came along when uh, we were all working for Zynga a few years ago. We built a game for them called Castleville. Yeah. Which was, you know, very successful. They were making a million dollars a day at one point. Wow. So, you know, we did our job there. And, uh, uh, as, as, as that unwound, you know, Facebook became less of an opportunity for gaming and we all got laid off. David left earlier because he wanted to do his own thing. He started bonus XP on his own. And, um, so I, I, uh, I took the summer off after, uh, I left. I didn't do any work for a summer. And then I started to, I actually worked a little bit part time for a company in Germany called Anno Games. Mm. Some some of the, one of the fellows that I met earlier at Blue Bite was now with Anno, and he called. I got called the day I lost my job at at at, uh, at Zynga. I had a text message and a, and a phone call asking if that happened to me and if I was available to go work somewhere else. <laughs> and I decided to take the time off. I just my wife and I had some vacation planned, and we just mm. said, "Well, there's no rush." And uh, uh, so I started working for Anno in the fall, and I told Dave that I had they were only taking part of my time and. And uh, he was, you know, the startup. And I said, look, I'd be happy to do some work for you for free. I got in the game industry for playing games, board games for nothing as a tester years and years ago. That's how my first real interaction with professional gaming was to just be a play tester, remote play tester for board games for fun, for nothing. It seemed, it seemed symmetrical that I would leave, finish my game industry by helping out Dave with his startup for nothing as a, as a, you know, a friend and family kind of person. And he insisted on paying me something. And I did a little work for them, not a lot. And then he had me come down to Texas, and he, he asked me to work for him full-time. And I said, you know, I don't think I want to do that. I'm, I'm in my late 60s. I don't think I want to work full-time ever again, but I'd be happy to be involved more. And so I became a part-time employee, and that's how I am today. And uh, he's and there's three, the three founders of Bonus XP, or Dave and uh, John Evanson and Jason Sollenbach. Those were all, those were all three critical guys mm. at Ensemble. And uh, I've seen that they, you know, I did really well with the Ensemble company and I, and I just felt an obligation to see, give them a chance to, if I could do something I could do to help them, I just felt it was just uh, something I wanted to do and I'm still I'm still involved, hoping to help them. Good stuff. I mean, uh, one, of the, one of the first games they released was uh, Stranger Things, which is a, a great series. I'm a big fan of the show and actually the game, I, I play, I've played it a lot and I, I'm a big fan of the game. I love the sort of retro sort of snares look of it, this sort of top-down view. I think it's brilliant. Um, are you... What, what, did you, what was your role in this particular title? And uh, it was hugely successful, as well, uh, I believe. Yes, it was. It's, it's been an incredible thing. Uh, I think the last I heard, it was over 8 million downloads. Incredible. And, and, the, and the, pop, the, uh, the ratings were like 4.8 out of 5, or mm. maybe not quite that high anymore. But that's pretty remarkable for a, for a game with 8 million downloads. And, uh, yeah, that was, a, that, was a, that was a brilliant game. That was, that was like Dave's idea, to, to my remembrance, see... He remember reading somewhere that the Duffer brothers talked about we should make a game about the show, mm. 
And so Dave got, got we tried, we tried to find somebody who'd get us an introduction. And, uh, we said, look, we'd be happy to pitch you a game. And we started the pitch process. You know, we put together some slides of what we could do. And then we built them a prototype and they got enthusiastic and, and we kept delivering milestone after milestone and they kept getting happier and happier. And we delivered it on time and on budget. And obviously it really was successful as their marketing. And, uh, so we had, uh, it was, it was a perfect storm, another perfect storm, a little game that turned into something really fun. And it was, uh, it was a blast. I mean, I helped with some of the ideas, some of the puzzles and stuff. And, uh, there was really a small team that made that game because the budget wasn't very big, but we were doing, we we're doing other things too. But I remember being involved. I certainly played, played it the heck out of it mm. and, uh, commented because we did that same process and we, we put things together and played it. What do you think? We'll change this, maybe change that. Our design, our, just our normal design process, you know, prototype it fast and then play it. I think you've got the Midas touch, um, Bruce. I have to say, every sort of game you get involved in or most of the games you get involved <laughs> in that tend to be huge successes. So, um, well, now good on you. I mean, I'm really happy, really happy for your success. It's, it's, it's been, it's been quite an amazing ride up there. It's like I, I tell people, I mean, I've worked with some really great, brilliant people. I'm at, like Dave Bodger is a very smart guy and John and Jason is a brilliant artist. I mean, those, I mean, I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just along for the ride practically in this case. <laughs> and I'm just helping them. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a play tester. I mean, I, once in a while I have an idea that helps, but, they are the guys who are driving us, driving the bus, I and mean, I'm just very happy to be involved with them. <laughs> well, you sound very humble, but I, I've got a lot of respect. Um, a really interesting question: Was there any games you ever worked on that never actually were, never got released? And if so, is there any games that you think actually it's a shame this never was released because it could have been huge? Any any games that you can remember? Oh well, I know the Ensemble had a number of games we worked on that were cancelled for one reason or another. Um, I think, I think, I think some of the people and I, we were, you know, World of Warcraft was a big hit. It's still a hit. Mm. Maybe the greatest game of all time. And now we were, we were working on a, on an MMO, MMORPG based in the Halo universe. Mm. And, uh, the management at Microsoft was enthusiastic, 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 enthusiastic. Then the name, the guys changed, the people in charge changed and didn't like it at all and canceled it. So. I think that was the game that could have been really great. I mean, uh, Ian Fisher was the lead designer on H2 and Age of Mythology, and he was the lead designer on this game, and I think it would have been great. Um, but maybe, maybe there wasn't room for too many more MMORPGs. I don't think that, uh, you know, the, the emphasis would, went to Xbox at Microsoft, and it, you can't fault them. I think they did a good job of making the Xbox a, a, a pretty good success, and they focused all their energies on that, and, an MMORG would have been a distraction and maybe it was maybe maybe the right decision but I think we could have made a great game out of that well, it does, does sound a shame it does sound like a very interesting title that's a, well, I guess we'll never know will we Bruce but there you go I don't know we'll never know a um, couple of couple of final sort of questions then uh, I'll say goodbye I know, I know you're a busy man um, I, I mean, I'm going to ask I don't know if you can answer this question but is there any projects any games you're working on you can you can share, share some light on is it all a bit top secret at the moment <laughs> Well, it's not, it's, it's a secret. It's not top secret, but yeah, I, I really can't discuss anything we're working on now. We don't, we don't have anything close to being published and uh, I don't want to upset anybody by talking about it. No, I just, I completely understand. Um, I mean, before, okay, second to last question. Is there, is there any bit of advice you could give anyone if they're looking to get into the sort of design elements of, of the video game industry? What, what would you say is the most important, uh, characteristics and skills needed? 
Uh, well, I think uh, uh, as a designer, I'll tell you what's worked for me, and that is, I, I, at an early age, I played a lot of games. Yeah. And I had, and I was always dissembling a game, taking it apart, thinking about what I would do differently, and try to think about, you know, as a designer, I think it's important to say, why am I enjoying this game? Why is this fun, and why is that game not fun? Mm -hmm. What is the difference there? I think when you can understand the difference between when I'm engaged and enjoying myself, and when I'm not engaged, when a game is not doing it for me, if you can understand what is happening between those two situations, that's an important step because mm -hmm. you're going to be able, you're going to be required to create that engagement for the people who are going to buy your game. And I think you have to understand that. Um, second thing I would say is that uh, I'm I, playing lots of games. You need to have that resource base for ideas. I mean, and I, I think that uh, I, I, I can, I believe in lifetime learning. <clears throat> I read mostly nonfiction. I want to know about economics, history, science, and it helped me a ton in game making because we need ideas. We need an idea for this. You know, how are you going to listen? The people with the widest broad breadth of knowledge sometimes are the people who have more access to knowledge. So I would say play a lot of games, understand what's making them work, read a lot, expose yourself to a lot of different ideas, not just nonfiction like myself, but also <clears throat> fiction because you need stories in many cases, characters, villains. Mm. What makes a story work? <clears throat> Mm. And then the second, the third thing I would say was I, 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 I work, I think I do a really good job without thinking about it at the time, was building goodwill with the people I work with. So mm. I get along with everybody and, you know, when you always have something positive to say when, when you're shown something, like an artist shows you something, I would say, if, even though I was going to critique it, I don't mm. like something about it, I would try to start off with why, what was good about it and build, you know, build, you know, build a team rapport, build goodwill. Mm. I mean, I think it's, it's always helped me when I, I've lost my job 10 dozen times for one reason or another. And my phone always rang. It was always another opportunity coming along because I'd make friends and, and demonstrate an ability to work with other people, try to make the people around you a better employee just because they work with you. I mean, I try to do that. Those are some of the things I would recommend. Oh, Bruce, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, just listen. I mean, it, uh, speaking to other people in the past, it's quite a cutthroat industry, isn't it, the video game industry? And uh, uh, you, you've got to have thick skin. I'm sure you you'd agree with that. And I, I like your attitude, Bruce. I have to say, you you don't. It doesn't sound like you've, you you sulk about it. You've got on with it, and you've you, you've still got these great opportunities. So I really really do respect you a lot, actually, for that. Yeah, I would say one. I asked Sid one time about why I was the guy he worked with. And uh, one of his answers was, he, he said, you always saw the glass half full. Mm. I mean, you think about it, we're working, we're working with incomplete software all the time. And, and it was a, we had a problem, with not a problem, but an iron song, we had to put out fires, people complaining, this isn't working right, this sucks, or something like that. It was from part of the game. And it was like, don't put it, don't dump fire, don't water on our fire. You know, we're building this, we're doing something really great here. Think about the positive things. You know, that's not, we're not working on that part yet. It's not supposed to work. Mm. Don't worry about that. Worry about the thing we're working on. Is this working right? You like this, you know, so. The fact I think he was, I was a, I was a positive thinker, maybe I guess in retrospect, and seeing the half glass half full, he thought that was useful to him. Good on you. Um, bit of a crazy question to finish up with, but we ask all our guests, Bruce, if you don't mind. Um, if you could share a few drinks with any video game character, who would you choose and why? I was asked this question before. You know, it's funny. I don't, I don't play a lot of games that have characters in them. I play these strategy games, which yeah. are usually global. But, you know, I think that uh, we did work on Stranger Things, the game, and I think I'd like to have a beer with Hopper. Yeah. So, you know, the, sop, the, you know, the police chief from Hawk, Hawkins, Indiana. I think uh, he would be an interesting guy to have a drink with. I, I can't 
yeah, I can't deny that. It'd be really interesting. We need to talk to him about what he's seen. Um, <laughs> now, look, Bruce, so it's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's, you know, it, it real, it really is. And I, I want to say thank you for your time today. And I, I know for certain our listeners are going to love this interview. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Enjoy talking with you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK at Keith Barlow 82 and at Arcade underscore Adriano. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top 10, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.